evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) Oh, well, hello there. (laughs) Hey, man, what's going on? Oh, not a whole lot. We, uh... We want to say Merry Christmas to everybody. That's right. Merry Christmas. It probably is not Christmas when you're listening to this. It's a little bit, little but, bit before, yeah. but... It's almost here. It's almost here. Hope you got all your shopping done, Adam. Oh, yeah. If not, we're screwed. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I was coming home the other day, and for those of y'all that know Nashville or live in Nashville, um, the biggest mall we've got is Opry Mills Mall. And I'm not sure why, but people are obsessed with this mall, like completely. There's two ways in, literally two ways in. It's off uh, Briley Parkway, and there's one lane to get in on one side and one lane to get in on the other side. But for some reason, especially around this time of year, it backs up for miles to get in. Like I was backed up. There's four lanes. All four lanes were backed up from people trying to get over, and it was that whole, well, I don't want to get in the back of the line, so I'm going to take this lane all the way up until I possibly can't anymore, and then I'm going to jump over and cut everybody else off kind of thing. All four lanes are doing this. So I don't know what in the crap is so fantastic about Opry Mills Mall. I don't know either, but it, you know it's right there, and they've got the hotel with all the lights and the Ryman yeah, the, the Grand Ole Opry. Grand Ole Opry. Grand Ole Opry's there. Yeah, but still, uh, man, I've been there. It is not worth sitting in a four-mile backup line <laughs> for hours just to get into this stupid mall and see some stupid yeah. Christmas lights. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not a Scrooge. I like Christmas lights, but I don't. Adam's anti-Christmas. Yeah. Bah humbug. <laughs> No, I, I like it. I just don't like it enough to sit for hours just to walk through and and see these Christmas lights. And it takes, what, maybe 30 minutes to walk through the, the whole uh, hotel over there, see all the lights, oh, no, and then you it leave? T- it takes a lot longer than that. You're not walking like I am, man. I'm, I'm in there and out of there. I don't... He's, he's power walking. Yeah, well, he's, he's got his pedometer on. It, well, see, it's the social anxiety being around all those people. That I'm like, no, we're we're getting this done, <laughs> yeah. and I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's crazy, man. Hey, I, I I took the kids out there last year, right? And we did it the right way. They uh they had all these mobile bars out there. Oh yeah, and you get a little uh, apple cider with some Jack Daniel's fire in it. Right. It's uh Tennessee fire. Yeah, yep. it's that's that's the right way. To it do makes that it a trail. lot better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm able to deal with people now that I'm sloshed. <laughs> So you saying Scrooge and and not liking Christmas made me think the song that's been stuck in my head Here, for like a week. <laughs> You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. For like a week now. And I don't know why. But maybe it's because it was on in some gas station or yeah, something. Yeah, you've been, you've been watching it. That's what you've been doing. Well, don't tell everybody my secrets. <laughs> um, so we wanted to go ahead and thank everybody. Um for all the reviews that y'all have given us. We really appreciate that. It it means more than you know to us to get those reviews. Um, 
and we, you know, we couldn't thank you enough. Right. It, it, it just, it helps the show. Uh, it makes Adam and I feel good. So, uh, we really, really appreciate it. And we want to thank everybody that's taken the time to, uh, to click those five stars and to, uh, leave a nice little review. Right. And if you haven't, we would encourage you to go over there and do that. Doesn't take you, but a couple seconds, you know, especially if you're on iTunes listening to us anyway, just click the five stars. Um, any, really any platform that you're listening to us has the way to click the review there. So if y'all would do that, we appreciate it very much. Um, normally we would uh, probably about this time give you a podcast recommendation, but we don't have one this week. We're going to focus just on the topic of this episode because it's all about you guys this episode. And I was going to let y'all know we will have another one come next episode. And I've been thinking, mulling over in my head, what we can call that instead of just, here's Adam and Matt's suggestion. You know, that's not that witty. So I was thinking we could call it potty time with two D's, <laughs> you know, like it's potty time. And then we, you know, it's a potty break. Yeah. Let's take a potty break <laughs> with D's, not T's guys. Come on. So Matt, we, we might as well get into kind of what we're doing tonight. So, okay. so as we've been telling you guys um, for the whole month is we were we're going to resurrect the Victorian tradition of telling ghost stories around the fire on Christmas Eve. And right now, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, we're at the time of the winter solstice. This year, the winter solstice will be Thursday the 21st. Yep. And that's going to be the, the longest night of the year. And... It was around that time that people began to focus more on ghosts and spirits because it was believed that the longest night of the year was when the veil that separates the spirit world and our world was the thinnest. So communication would be higher, you know, sightings or feelings, emotions, everything you associate with, you know, being around spirits or ghosts, it was heightened. Right. I like to think of it kind of like older TVs. And I don't know, probably the younger people listening to us don't know, but you know, back when you had the dial TVs that you'd turn the dial and you'd get on that middle station between two stations and kind of be fuzzy, but you could catch pictures from both uh, the surrounding stations, so you'd get a little bit of channel four, get a little bit of channel five when you were right there in the middle, and it would kind of cross over. That's kind of what I think about when I think about the veil being thinner. Yeah, is, it overlaps kind of like. Is that. this how you used to like click between HBO and Cinemax trying to? Yeah, it was it was easier that way. You know, that way I don't have to pick if you know they're they're both on there, Cinemax and HBO right there, which made for some weird times as a child, but you know. Anyway, <laughs> so um, getting into this uh, this tradition, uh, oddly enough, um, Smithsonian.com uh, had an article that came out um, 
earlier this week, actually. Yeah, a few days um, ago. Just, just Yeah, just a few days ago. On It was a plea to resurrect this Victorian tradition of telling ghost stories on Christmas Eve. And if you if you haven't seen this article, which you might not, <clears throat> go check it out. I mean, it, it's it's really interesting. Uh, and and funny thing was is we we had already decided to do this. Yeah, you know, because of this tradition, long before this article came right. out. I so think, it was kind of it was kind of cool that this article came out right about the time we were trying to do the same thing. Right. I think it was uh, Rob Christofferson that posted it in our Facebook yeah. group. So. If y'all aren't in the Facebook group, you need to get over there and you can read the article. Um, but in that article, they had a quote that Matt and I thought was kind of cool. Um, and it was from a humorist in 1891 named Jerome K. Jerome. And he wrote it in his uh, collection of stories and stuff that was called Told After Supper. And here's the quote. He said, Whenever five or six English-speaking people meet around a fire on Christmas Eve, they start telling each other ghost stories. Nothing satisfies us on Christmas Eve but to hear each other tell authentic anecdotes about specters. It's a genial, festive season, and we love to muse upon graves and dead bodies and murders and blood. So most people don't think of dead bodies, murders, and blood around Christmas. But that was, I mean, that was originally the tradition. So... Like the Smithsonian Magazine, I, th- I think they copied us. They heard us. Yeah, the Smithsonian exactly. follows us on Twitter or they listen to our podcast. And they're like, you know what? We need to write an article about that because these guys are intelligent. Um, and <laughs> I'm but, sure that's exactly, <laughs> that's what, exactly what happened. Um, but like that article, we want to try to resurrect the tradition. So that's kind of what we're going to do. Right. So. We asked everybody to send in personal stories, made-up stories, stories that you wrote, story that you heard as a child, uh, anything and everything. Uh, we asked you to just send them in, and we were gonna we were gonna read them uh, on the show on our Christmas episode. Right. Um, so we we got a, a really good response. We got quite a few stories come in, and we appreciate everybody that did. Oh yeah. We kind of went through them all, and. Uh, we, we've got a, a pretty good uh, group of eclectic stories. Um, most of them are kind of personal. I think Adam and I are going to share, you know, a couple of short personal stories. So sit back, relax, pour you a nice uh, eggnog. Eggnog, a, apple with, cider. With a shot of uh, Tennessee fire in it. There you and, go. Uh, that way you can get through this episode. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, it's, it's going to be worse than a root canal. It no, is. It's going to. It's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be great. So we're gonna we're gonna let Adam Adam start off. All right. So mine's really short, um, but it's one that actually it means a lot to me. Um, back in two thousand nine, my granddad passed away, and I was really, really, really close to him. Um, I looked up to him, but. It was probably four or five years later that I was driving to work. And for anybody that knows me, I get up at the butt crack of dawn to go to work. I'm usually up at 4 a.m. or before to go into work. So it's probably about 4.30, 4.45, I'm driving down the interstate. And I guess I dozed off. You know, I, I don't remember dozing off, but you never do. Yeah, no. Um, but... 
all I remember is at one point I hear my grand granddad's voice from the back seat and it says, Adam, wake up now. And I popped awake apparently. And I had run off the road. My right tires had gone over what I call the drunk bumps on the side of the road, the uh, drunk braille over there um, that keeps you, you know, supposed to wake you up when you hit it, but it didn't. So my tires were over that, and I was feet from nose diving into a ditch off the side of the interstate. And I slammed on the brakes and came to a stop there on the shoulder, just a few feet from that ditch that would have probably killed me. So to me, that was grandpa looking out for me. That was him seeing me doing a dumb thing by staying up too late the night before and falling asleep on the way to work and him saving my dumb butt and keeping me from joining him basically. Um, so that, that means a lot to me. Hadn't had anything else like that happen before, you know, or since. So you know, people will say it's probably a dream or my subconscious or whatever, but whatever you want to call it, I like to think he was looking out for me. That's right. That's right. That's that's a great story. I like it. So I'm going to share one of mine. There you go. So when um, when I was about 14, I guess that would be about eighth grade. I thought you were going to say how long ago that was. I was like, don't do no, that. No, I'm do not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was it was around that time. And I had an uncle who was in a nursing home. He uh, had emphysema. He was he was pretty bad off at this point. But growing up, this uncle had had lived with us, with my parents and I, along with my grandmother. And he had his he had his own room. He was already kind of in a hospital bed. He didn't come out a whole lot, um, you know. And I. You know, as a kid, I would do little chores for him. I would take his trash out or I'd fill up his water and that kind of stuff. And he would, you know, give me a few bucks here and there. Um, you know, so I had this I had this relationship with my uncle. It was an unconventional relationship as a child with, you know, with an uncle. You would think, oh, my uncle took me hunting or he took me fishing. <clears throat> you know, I, I didn't have that. He was he was a sick he was a sick individual. Um, but so I, so, I mean, I knew him, I knew him well, you know, so, and had this, this close personal relationship with him, but at some point he, he just couldn't stay home anymore. He, he required more care than you could provide at home. So, you know, he, he went into a nursing home and it was the Saturday before Easter. And it was just like any other, any other Saturday night, I had just gone to bed. Nothing, nothing was happening. There was no news or anything. And I dreamed that I was standing on our front porch and my uncle came walking up the sidewalk, which was odd enough because he couldn't do that. And he was dressed in white, like a white shirt and white pants. And he walked up to me and saw me on the porch. And he said, hey, Matt, I just wanted to come by and tell you 
and your parents, thank you for everything you did for me. And goodbye. And he turned around and started to walk away. And I guess it's about that time I woke up. Well, I didn't think anything about it. You know, it's like, wow, that's a weird dream, you know. Right. Later on that morning, my parents got the call that during the night, my uncle had passed away in the nursing home. You know, could be a crazy coincidence, but, you know, I've grown up and, and thought about it and said, it just is so strange for that dream to occur probably the right around the same time that, you know, he was leaving this earth. Right. So I just always feel like that this was his way of reaching out and and telling us goodbye. Yeah. You know, so one last time. One last time. So, yeah, so that I mean, you know, it's it's got, it's got a lot of personal meaning to me too. Uh just like yours does, you know, and and you know, the visitations by past family members always, you know, they they touch you a little more oh, than, yeah. you know, hey, there's this creepy ghost in the yeah, corner. Yeah, than just random. Right. <clears throat> so, so yeah, so there's a couple of personal stories um, from Adam and myself. And uh, I think you've got one that was sent in by a listener. Yep, I do. Um, so this one was sent in all the way from Finland um, from a guy named Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you for listening. Hi, Jonathan. <laughs> Thank you for listening all the way in Finland. Um, now, he said uh, this is a personal story of his from around when he was 13 years old. So he said, my grandma had been fighting cancer for more than 10 years before she passed away. And out of all his relatives, she was one of the closest. So it was a really big loss for him. He said, a, a few weeks after she died, I woke up in the middle of the night to this feeling like somebody was breathing right next to my ear, like the small little gust of air that come from your nose when you're breathing. So I turned around in bed expecting to see somebody, but nobody was there. So I tried to get back to sleep, and since I no longer felt the wind in my ear, I finally fell back asleep. The next night, the same thing happened, and I got up to see if any windows or something was left open, but everything was closed. So I managed to fall back asleep, and I had the weirdest dream ever. There was this bright white background, and then my grandma's face popped up like a see-through, translucent, ghost-looking face, and she was humming a high-pitched noise, which then turned into a painful, loud scream. After that night, crazy stuff started happening around the house. Whenever I was alone, I would hear loud bangs and sometimes even voices. We have a small nail wedged behind the door trim, that my dad uses to lift up the drain cover. And many times when I was in the shower, that nail would fall on the floor. And it's wedged behind the door frame pretty hard. And a lot of weird coincidences happened too. When I was talking with someone, the words that I would speak were in exact sync to that on the TV or the radio. Also, when my mom's friend, who was a psychic, once visited, she said, don't get scared but I see a lady standing in the basement staircase, standing and staring at us, but she doesn't seem harmful. He said this went on for about six months before it stopped. He said he's convinced it was his grandmother that was not ready yet to cross over and just wanted to say a final goodbye or something. So 
Thank you, Jonathan. That's yeah. a good a good experience. That's cool. I like that. <clears throat> okay. So <clears throat> I'm going to read one that was sent in by, by Dale. So <clears throat> Dale says, um, I want to preface this story by saying I do not believe in spirits of the dead haunting people. Now, having said that, this story is about being haunted by the spirit of a dead person. <laughs> so uh, here's Dale's story. Several years back, I had a friend who battled cancer and had gone into remiss- remission only for the cancer to come back more aggressive. Regrettably, regrettably, I can't talk tonight, Dale. I am sorry. I must apologize to Dale for butchering his story. Regrettably, I hadn't visited him, but once a while, once a while, he was on bed rest. And even then, he was drugged out cold. One week, I had decided I was going to visit him on that coming Thursday, though I'm not sure why I picked Thursday. Wednesday had come and gone, and I was in bed, expecting an uneventful night of sleep. When I had a dream where I was visited by a ghost who, looking back, closely resembled my friend. In fact, I think I addressed him by name. He was telling me a bunch of things I can't remember, being a general pest and not letting me sleep. Well, when morning came and I checked Facebook, I was greeted by a slew of rest in peace posts. Yep, my friend had died on the day I was going to visit him. It's made worse by both me not remembering what he was trying to tell me and by the one thing I remember telling him, leave me alone, Phil. I'm trying to sleep. (laughs) You know, it kind of sounds like he feels bad about that, but, you know, if it's your buddy, you know he, you talk like that to your buddies all the time. That's right. You know, Uh, I got a buddy at work that, I'll pass by him and he'll go to say something to me. And I'm just like, shut up, dude. And just keep walking, <laughs> you know? So it, it's nothing. It, that's just how, how you talk to your buddy. Yeah. So I'm sure he has no hard feelings or anything, Dale. I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> um, so I got another one, but thanks, but thanks Dale for the story. Oh, absolutely. So, Thank that you. Was great. Um, I got another one and it's from friend of the show, Rob Christofferson. Um, and he sent this one in. And it's a, it, I like this one. This is pretty cool. It's about ghost hunting. So he said this is his favorite ghost story, and he was there when it happened. And the spirit has a name, and it's Jeff. He said, I've been an amateur paranormal investigator for about 10 years. This experience took place about five years ago. We were training new investigators and took them to a cemetery that was located deep down a backwoods dead-end road. We were looking for this field where a farmer had killed his wife and child, and the rumor was that you could see the spirit dragging the bodies across the field. Instead, we came across this secluded cemetery that was relatively new. Nobody that dwelled there had died before the 80s. It was beautiful, though. Lots of open space. The stars looked beautiful that night. When we got out of the car and began showing the newbies the equipment, the meters we had, K2 started going off immediately. We didn't think think it was anything paranormal at the time, which is dumb, because we were, he said that, I didn't say that, that was Rob that said, which is dumb. Which is dumb, because there were no electrical lines of any kind out there. But also, because we were 
about 100 yards from the actual cemetery. We didn't expect to get anything out there. We ignored the meters and split up into teams. For about an hour, we investigated the cemetery and got nothing. The team I was a part of walked back to the car and got meter hits again, but ultimately ignored them. Such an amateur move. We switched up teams, and after an hour of this, the team I was in decided not to do the stupid thing and ignore the activity at the car. We turned on our K2 meters, and sure enough, they lit up all the way to red. After a couple of minutes, after a couple of meter hits, it would stop. We would move forward, and there it would be again. We kept following the spirit for 20 minutes, and it kept walking in circles around the car. The other group had a spirit box that our team leader brought, and we had the idea to use it. We put it on top of the car, as well as a voice recorder nearby. We asked the spirit for its name, and it told us on three occasions. We couldn't hear it at at the time, but we figured we would check the voice recorders later. For the questions we had asked, we found out that the spirit was a military veteran, that he was in his 50s, and that he knew he was dead. After about 30-minute investigation with the box, the activity started to die down. We left shortly after and went home. The next day, we listened to our voice recorders, and after paying close attention, we learned that the spirit's name was Jeff. We cataloged the evidence we got and really didn't think anything of it. Two months later, we took part in a fall festival in order to drum up investigations. The place where we set up is called Holbert House. I think I said that right, Holbert House, and is really haunted. It was also featured on an episode of The Haunted Collector. At one point during the festival, my team leader asked me, Hey, remember Jeff? Instantly, I knew what he was talking about and said yes. We know who Jeff is, he said, and he told me about this guy named Jeff who had committed suicide at the end of the road where uh, end of the road past where the cemetery is located. They had asked around town to see if they could figure it out. They asked the guy they were talking to why Jeff would be interested in our car. We rode in a red Pontiac Sunfire to the cemetery that night. The guy told our investigator that Jeff's daughter had one just like it. So that's pretty cool. <clears throat> yeah, it's like one of those that has the little twisty hand. That's like one you tell around a campfire. Right. You know. Well, and it, you know, that just, it's one of those that also goes to prove that just because it's not where you think the activity should be, it doesn't mean that there can't be activity there. You know, because like he even said there, it was, you know, it's dumb to discount that because it was no reason for the K2 hits. But because they weren't in the cemetery, technically, they didn't think it was actually, you know, something to pay attention to. But you should always pay attention to it if you can't rule it out with anything else. There might be something there. That's right. That's right. Don't don't ever ignore it. Right. All right. So the next one we're going to read comes all the way from across the pond uh, from Ireland. Right. And so Laura who is host of the Spectral Asylum podcast, uh, sent along this story. And um, I, have to, I have to warn you, this story discusses something that I absolutely detest, and that is Ouija boards. Right. <laughs> if, you, if you couldn't figure out by our Ouija board episode that Adam and I aren't going to mess with Ouija board, 
then yep. you didn't listen close enough. Right. <laughs> or at all, because we yeah. said it a lot. So if you open a Christmas present and your friend got you a Ouija board, that friend is not your friend. Right, so. exactly. <laughs> but uh, this is uh, this is a pretty cool story. Um and uh, and we're gonna we're we're gonna try and uh, and and read through Laura's story and and I'm gonna give it the best I have and try not to screw it. Up. Right. And just a side note, um, she told me she said uh, that we like to cuss over here, and <laughs> by reading the story, they do. And Laura, I like to cuss too, <laughs> and it's very hard for me not to on this show, um, but. We're going to do what we can to kind of edit on the fly here. Right. Um, right. So, but if Matt accidentally drops the F-bomb just because he's reading, I'm going to try to beep it out. Yeah. So. I, I don't know. Our, our our beeper may be broken. It so. may be. <laughs> it may have already gone on vacation. All right. Without uh, without further ado, uh, this, is, this is Laura's ghost story. <clears throat> when I was around 16, when I was around 16 years old, I had a horrifying experience. I'm still best friends with the person in this story, but we don't talk about our experience. It's like the elephant in the room. Anyway, my boyfriend at the time, we'll call him Richard, and my best friend, we'll call him Aaron, myself, were all hanging out one day. We were were weird kids. We loved all things dark and spooky. We're still weird adults in the same stuff, but hopefully a bit smarter than we were when this story takes place. We were the kind of edgy kids that loved horror movies, occultism, and Ouija boards. Anyway, we were all hanging out one day, and we'd been gaming, but we were bored. So we wanted to try and do something. I suggested we play a Ouija board session. I'd played with a Ouija board quite a few times in the past and didn't have anything majorly unsettling unsettling happen to me. In fact, it had been mostly a positive experience. They both agreed. We didn't own a Ouija board. Times were a bit different back then, and Ouija boards aren't as easily accessible as they are now with the Internet. So we made one out of a big sheet of paper and used a glass as the planchette. We sat around in a circle and started asking if anything was around. For the first five minutes, we received no response. We were starting to think it wasn't going to work. We decided to ask one more time, is any spirit present? Almost instantly, the glass moved to yes. At this point, there really wasn't any apprehension. We weren't scared. In fact, we were excited. We almost started playing a game of of guess who, as it didn't really respond to anything other than yes or no questions. So we were all going through our dead relatives and asked if it was one of them. Each time we got a no. After running out of questions, we asked in what year it died. The glass moved to the number zero. We were all confused at this point and each thought it was one of the others moving the glass. So to rule out any of us moving the glass, we asked for a sign that the spirit was around us, maybe to touch one of us or something. Almost instantly, Aaron felt a cold chill around his legs. He was wearing jeans and was sitting cross-legged, so it was a little odd, especially since Aaron was the biggest skeptic of us all, so it was out of character for him to even express this feeling. At this point, there was a bit of fear and apprehension. 
we demanded to know who we were speaking to, and the board spelled out S-A-T-A-N. From doing a lot of... Nope, ding- I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> done. <laughs> Peace out. From doing a lot of demonology research as an adult, I now know that this makes sense. Demons feed off fear, and it would kind of explain why he could only answer yes or no questions up until this point. We kind of laughed, being the edgy kids we were. Richard asked the entity to tell him something only he would know. The name of his father. Neither of us knew his name as Richard didn't speak about him. The glass started to move and Richard yanked his hand away as soon as it was done spelling out. So the entity was clearly right. Richard was angry and scared and demanded that the entity prove to him that he's real. A millisecond after he said these words, Richard's dog started barking and howling. They were the most docile creatures ever and never barked. We ran out into the kitchen to see if they were all right. All four of them were cowered in a corner, and their bedding was strewn all over the room. At this point, we decided to call it a day and stop playing. We went about our evening, and honestly, even though we were a bit creeped out, we didn't think too much about it. The next day, we were together again at my house, and the fear had worn off, and we were feeling a bit brave, so we decided to play again. We almost felt cool that we had contacted Satan. Right, edgy edgy kids. We assumed that the positions we had the previous day, we assumed the positions we had the previous day and asked if any spirit was present. The glass moved to H-I. We knew we were talking to the same entity. We weren't scared anymore, so we almost started having a conversation with it. The initial shock had faded, so we were having fun. We asked it questions ranging from what it, what we had had for breakfast to asking it what it was like on the other side. It honestly felt like we were talking to an old friend, as weird as that sounds. At this point, I was laying sideways, so the left side of my body was on the floor facing the board. We asked who it liked in the group, and the glass kept going to me, back and forth, back and forth and I realized the glass was bouncing against my chest. I didn't like that, so I asked it if it could stop. The glass then shot over to Richard and spelled out the word D-I-E. We were back on edge, so we asked what did it mean, and it spelled out, she's mine, before shooting back over to me. I sat bolt upright at this point. It started spelling out a load of sexual profanities, which I knew were directed at me. I was terrified at this point. Aaron decided to step away from the board and take his fingers off the glass. At this point, the glass started whirling around and around on the board with such ferocity that it actually cracked and broke. I don't know much about Ouija boards, but I knew enough to know that it needed to be closed. So I got another glass and immediately started darting between two letters. I'm not sure which ones they were. I was in a state of panic. So we moved the glass to goodbye, which took a surprising amount of force, but it didn't stop it. And it was now moving the glass backwards through the alphabet. 
we forcibly moved the glass to goodbye three times and folded up the board and stepped away. I was shaking at this point. While the aggression, aggression wasn't targeted at me, it seemed to revolve around me, which I didn't like. There was nothing left to say between us. We were so shaken. So the two boys went home, and I went to my bedroom to get ready for bed. My parents and brother were out, so I was in the house alone. I started seeing shadows out of the corner of my eye. I thought it was my eyes playing tricks on me. More like I tried to convince myself it was. I knew deep down it wasn't. I decided to go for a shower and try to wake myself up. I didn't plan on sleeping after that ordeal. I kept seeing the shadows, but didn't think anything of it. When I came out, on the mirror was a handprint on the fogged up glass. A large handprint, so I knew it was not mine or anyone who could have been in my house. Almost not human size. I thought, forget this, and ran to my room and hid under my covers. Every slight noise made my heart race. I've heard my parents come home, and that must have put me at ease because at some point in the night, I must have fallen asleep. I woke up in the middle of the night to a dark entity standing over me, and I was frozen. I couldn't move. I couldn't scream. I couldn't do anything. It pressed itself on top of me, and I felt the ice coldness of its body against mine pinning and weighing me down. And really, Laura says, sorry for this part. It's profane that I literally haven't told anyone about this because they'll think I'm crazy. But she says doing her own podcast has made her more comfortable about talking about this. Laura says, I don't want to call it rape. How can I be raped by something not of this earth? It lasted for what seemed like forever. It was probably only a few minutes. After he left, I could move, and I sat bolt upright in bed. I turned on the light and threw off the covers to make sure there was nothing there. When I looked down, I saw a mark on my thigh. When I looked closer, I realized it was a slight purple bruise in the shape of a handprint. I was not sleeping anymore. I couldn't stop crying. At first light, I called the boys and asked them to come over. They both said they hadn't slept because of the paranormal activity in their homes. Richard said his dogs were howling all night, and he kept getting ice-cold breezes in his room. He ended up with scratches on his arm, which he doesn't remember doing. Aaron said he had a cold chill in his room all night, and his curtains flew open in the middle of the night. I couldn't bring myself to tell them what happened to me, so I lied and told them I had similar experiences as them. They were both terrified, and I didn't want to scare them anymore. We never spoke about it again. Woo! Yeah. I mean, that that story just, you know, and this is about probably the fifth time I've read through it. It just it it gives me cold chills every time. I was gonna say every time I've read it, the hair stands up on my arm. And it's very much if if you guys remember from our Ouija board episode, there are many 
many cases of something like that happening after the use of a Ouija board. Right. And it is normally all connected to Sozo. So I'm hoping our computer doesn't mess up like it did last time when I mentioned (laughs) his name. So I don't know if y'all remember that, but my computer messed up the last time I mentioned his name. So I'm going to just keep flowing right along and pretend I didn't say it. Um, But it, it, it's one of those you don't want to mess with. You know, that's one of those reasons why we are so vehemently against the Ouija board. And Laura, we appreciate the story, and we know it takes a lot to share something like that. And we thank you for sharing that. I know it, you know, we're doing this as kind of a, uh, you know, celebration of the holidays, but also your story can act as a warning as you know to other people as to stay away from Ouija boards and or at the very least be very careful with them yeah um it, it helps to to at least know what the potential is before you sit down and 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 start trying to quote unquote play a game right um you know it there's enough documentation and Adam and I have both had experiences that cause us to say these things are best left alone. Now, even even in uh, in the uh, communication that that you know Laura's had with us, you know, she even says, you know, now she doesn't really feel like you know Ouija boards are all that dangerous and everything, um, and and that's fine. You know, that's you know, I don't know that I would share that opinion if. If I were you, Laura, I, I I wouldn't, and I don't. But it's it's cool that you do. Yeah. Um. You know, to to go through an experience like that and be like, yeah, okay, I'm I'm cool. Bring it on. Let's see. Yep. Let's see what else happens. She's hey, stronger than I am. You, I'll tell you, you that. You are way stronger than yep. I am. I promise. Hey, excuse the language, but you're a badass chick if you can do that. <laughs> yeah, but thank you so much for sharing that story with us and. Uh, and we're just we're happy we could uh, be the ones that uh, that read it out. Yeah, yeah, so. we're we're glad we could do it. Now I have one last one, and this is one of my favorites here that we've done. Um, it's from a listener of ours named Anthony, and he is a coroner. Yeah, <laughs> and this is and for those of y'all that know me, I, I like this kind of stuff and. You know, I I like the, I have a very morbid curiosity, you know, when it comes to this kind of stuff. That's an understatement. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm a little smell sensitive, so the decomposition I smell, I probably couldn't handle real well. I'd, you know, I'd have to do the Vicks under my nose, but uh, the rest of it, I'm cool with. You know, whatever I smell, something like that. I remember it. I was reading a detective novel years ago. And uh, one of the detectives says, remember, all smells are particulate. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, give me a mask. Yep. <laughs> um, and some of y'all know, I know, Matt, you know, because you walk through it all the time, but I, I collect skulls and, you know, I find them or whatever. So um, it's all ethically sourced. Um, but some of the ones I find still have 
matter on them, we'll say. Um, so you have to clean that off. And one of the best ways that I've found to do it that doesn't require a lot of effort is you take that bone that has the material still on it and you place it in water and then you place it outside and you let it sit for weeks at a time. And after a while that the water will make the flesh and the other um, material uh, basically just slough off the bone. Uh but in doing so, it just saturates the water with that, and it'll float to the top, and your your skull or whatever's in the bottom. The smell that comes off of that when you open the lid of that bucket is ungodly. And one time, I I had I wear gloves. Obviously, I was wearing leather gloves, and as I was carrying the bucket to a safe spot to open it some of that water sloshed out onto my glove. I put the bucket down, pulled the glove off as quick as I could. My hand still smelled that way. For two or three days, you could smell that on my skin. And me being smell sensitive, I was gagging. And every time every time I put my hand to my face, I'd gag and all that. So I, I now wear like latex rubber gloves when I do it so that it can't get through. Yeah, and I just realized that I don't think we said that these are animal skulls. Yeah, yeah, probably should say they're animal skulls. <laughs> well, there's no human no. human skulls that Adam's got shoved in a bucket right. outside. <laughs> right. We should. I, that's a good point. I need to verify <laughs> for everybody. They are they are animals. They're coyotes and deer and stuff like that. And uh, not neighbors. No, they're not neighbors. <laughs> and if any of my neighbors are listening, y'all are safe. <laughs> However, I do like to, every now and then, I'll go out in the backyard like midnight, one o'clock, and just start digging a hole for no reason. <laughs> and that way, if any of my neighbors are nosy and looking over, they they quit nosing around pretty quick <laughs> at that point. Anyway, uh, this last story is from Anthony, and he said... Uh, well, we'll just get right into it. He said, there's two types of cases you absolutely dread as a coroner deputy. A death of a child or a decomp call-out. I was pretty lucky in my first two years as a deputy to not receive either, but I knew that call would come one day. And sure enough, it did. After I got the coroner call-out page, my boss texted me, decomp, enjoy. They teach you about stages of decomp in training, but they really don't teach you the best method for removal or transport of the body. So I called him back and asked him what's the best way to get this guy into the bag. Is my hand going to go through him if I try to move him? I asked. Yeah, probably, he said over the phone. Wonderful. He passed me some, passed me some tips and told me to call the fire department if the guy was further along in the stage of decomp so that they could lend me a hand. This call-out was in early September, and the location was a trailer park in a more run-down part of town. Those elements combined made me dread, uh, dread for the worst. The cop on scene said the last open piece of mail was from July. That means this guy lay dead in his trailer for about two months. 
I expected to walk into a cluttered, tight trailer full of stench from festering two-month-old body. Thank God the AC was still running on low, or else it would have been one of my worst cases at that point in my career. The scene was nowhere as bad as I expected. The trailer was clean, and there was enough room to maneuver with the body bag and the cart. Even the body wasn't what I was expecting. I entered the scene thinking I'd, I'd be met with an eye-bulging, bloated, putrefied corpse. But what I got instead was a frail-looking mummy on the ground. The eyes were sunken into the skull, and the nose was black. There was an odor, but the profile wasn't strong enough to have me gagging. From the investigation, I found the decedent was suffering from lung-related illness. He coughed up a large amount of blood in the bathroom and walked to the living room, where he collapsed, fell on his back, and died. When it came time to transport the body, I went to lift the arms, and a police officer assisted with the legs. Immediately after lifting the body, a swarm of maggots fell from the head of the body. There was a wound on the back of the head from where he fell, and the maggots were burrowed in. As soon as we shifted the body, the stench shot through the house. That three-month-old rot smell hit me pretty hard because of how unexpected it was. I had to push open a side door of the trailer to get some air. At that time, that was the worst odor I've ever smelled at a scene. After I was done with the case, I headed home, took a long shower, and went to bed. My wife was already asleep, and I tried not to wake her. Later in the night, I heard her start to scream in her sleep. Now, she has night terrors. They weren't uncommon. It happens maybe once every month or so. I just nudged her to wake her and told her she was having a night terror. I used to ask what her dreams were about, but since they've become so common, I stopped. Plus, I'd rather just sleep after that day. The next evening, I had a friend and his wife over at our house to watch a hockey game. When my buddy and I were in the garage grabbing another round of beers, I had to vent to him about the case I had the previous day and about the maggots that fell from the body's head. He was the first one I told about the case, and I just had to share how off-guard it caught me. We went back inside to watch the game with the ladies. Later on that night, the topic of my wife's night terror came up. I joked about how it always scares the shit out of me, sorry, always scares the crap out of me, and then I asked, (laughs) I don't do good censoring, I just read. I joked about how it always scares the crap out of me, and then I asked what she dreamed about last night. Normally, it's something like someone trying to kill her or animals trying to eat her. This time, she dreamt something much different. She said in her dream, she was lying on a carpet of a house and couldn't move or talk. She just felt very cold and stiff. Then some people walked into the room and looked down at her. They left her there and started to walk around the house like they were looking around for something. She told us she tried to call out to them, Who are you? What are you doing here? Even get out of my house but she couldn't even feel the air breathing into her lungs. The people searching the house came back, and they tried to move her. When they picked her up, she said she felt something wiggling in the back of her head. She described feeling tons of small, wormy bugs pouring out of the back of her head. My friend and I looked at each other, and I told her that was exactly like the call-out I had just the night before. Now, he says to end this, he says, I don't believe in ghosts or the paranormal. I've never really experienced anything like this while working as a coroner. But after that night terror, 
We'd hear cabinet doors shut in the bathroom or kitchen. Sometimes we'd hear things hit the floor in the bathroom. And on more than one occasion, I had bottles of beer explode in places where I was storing them. All of this activity or weirdness, uh, weird occurrences did slowly stop over time. So, Anthony, that is a cool story. Yeah. I like that one. That is, it's right up my alley. Kind of little gory, not too bad. And if that's a coincidence, that is a really great yeah. coincidence. Yeah. Yeah, I knew as soon as I started reading this and saw that he, that he was the corner, I thought, oh, it's going to be good. And you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, we wanted to just, again, thank you guys for sending these stories in. Uh, it means a lot to us that we get to share your stories on our show. Oh, excuse me. Hiccup. Share your stories on our show. I'm leaving that in. I don't care. Yeah. Well, and, this uh, is an unedited conversation. Exactly. Y'all get to hear me hiccup <laughs> and probably in perpetuity because it's not getting deleted ever. Um, so, again, thank you for sending those in and... You know, it it means a lot to us that y'all participate with our weird episodes and everything. Yep, and uh, and you know, keep this up. You know, we we love the listener response, and we really love hearing the your comments and everything in our Facebook group uh, or on our Facebook page. So um, don't just let it stop here. I mean, we'll do this again next Christmas. So, oh yeah, um, and if we get enough responses enough stories we might do it again before then yeah i mean absolutely so so just keep sending them in you know keep up the chatter i mean like i said any of these things that we talk about in our facebook group you know could potentially turn into episodes right. and you know hey if, if if it was your story that we're going to do we're going to give you credit for it absolutely um you know so so just you know keep it keep it coming we love it yep hit us up like Matt said on our Facebook or go over to Twitter and you can find us on Twitter, um, search graveyard tales. Uh, it's easier than trying to, to search for our name because Twitter has a weird way of, you know, limiting how many characters you can have. So I had to pick some weirdness, but just search graveyard tales. You'll find us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like us on Facebook. And as we mentioned at the beginning, um, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, uh, Audio Boom, Spotify, Spotify, yeah, um, whatever, uh, whatever podcast app you use to listen to us, go in there and give us a rating. Uh, it brings more people here into the graveyard. It does. So we look forward to seeing y'all back next time. Yep. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. <laughs>